Hello and welcome to Apartment 29A. I'm Shosh. And I'm Megan. And we're two best friends who have a lot to say. This week, we're going to talk about the podcast Hidden Brain by NPR, the book series that starts with the first book, The Ember in the Ashes by Sabah Tahir, and we are going to talk about The Circle, which is a TV show on Netflix because Shosh and I cannot get enough of it. And while we do that, while we talk about those things, we are going to be drinking a tea. Now, this is by Fordham and Mason, which we have already talked about. Uh, so this is a re- repeat company, but this time it's a strawberry black tea. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the first tea that Shosh and I have had where uh, Shosh is not sure she's going to finish her cup. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so... I love from a couple episodes ago, we talked about the fancy tea, which is their royal blend, and I love it. So it's not a full company thing, it's just this tea. I got a sampler pack of fruit teas because I've been really excited about these fruit teas, and apparently, I'm not a fan of strawberry tea, at least not this one. It's mostly the smell, if I'm being honest. It's kind of like a fake strawberry, and it's kind of gross. It smells like sh- the like strawberry shortcake dolls from our childhood. Mm, I don't know. I and I like was never a fan <laughs> of my doll smelling like fake strawberries. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It feels it smells really fake, not good, a little bit chapsticky, but worse. And the flavor isn't nearly as bad as the smell, but obviously since you have to put the cup, you know, basically right into your nose to take a drink, it's not working for me. So but it is a black tea with a strawberry flavoring. And unlike the royalty, this one should not have milk because it's a fruit tea. Correct. But you could probably still put honey in it if you wanted a little sweeter, which we won't say whether or not Megan actually did. I put sugar in mine, so. (laughs) (laughs) I totally put honey in mine. (laughs) Uh, And it's not too sweet, but it and it does have a strawberry aftertaste, which is not our faves. All right, let's talk about a podcast. (laughs) Okay. So this week, we're going to talk about the podcast Hidden Brain by NPR. This podcast is one of my favorites. And of course it is. It's a podcast about the unconscious patterns that drive human behavior. That is right up my alley. Uh, It is hosted by Shankar Vedantam, who has an amazing podcast voice. He's very funny. He's obviously super smart. And uh, yeah, he has a fan in me for sure. The episode we're talking about this week is called Humor Us, and he interviews a psychologist who, a research psychologist named Jennifer Arcor, and she has a book coming out, may even be out now, called Humor Seriously, and so they talk about humor. All the entire episode is more than you ever thought you needed to know about humor and what what is funny, what makes things funny. And when you share laughter with someone, you are essentially uh, exercising with them, meditating with them, and having sex with them all at the same time. So that's what we're going to talk about today. (laughs) Exercising, (laughs) meditating, and having sex with people you laugh with all at the same time. Or she also puts it in terms of essentially kindly drugging yourself and everyone around you. (laughs) Just something that she says in the very beginning, she did this research or she found this research, excuse me, about what's called the humor cliff. And the humor cliff is that young children and children through young adulthood around age 23 all talk about, like if you ask them if they laughed that day, they all say yes. And around age 23, people start saying no. And they don't, with consistency, say yes to laughing that day until 70 or 80 years of age. So pretty much as long as you are in, as long as you are working, you're not laughing. Or at least you're not recognizing that you're laughing. You don't admit to laughing. And I just was like, uh... Shosh, you have to listen to this episode because Shosh and I do nothing but laugh. Like we are on this podcast because we love to talk to each other and make each other laugh. And I was just like, what? 
I mean, there are times, like I was telling Shosh, there are times, like if I look back, like at the low points of my life, I would say there was a lack of laughter in those times. Like that was, it's like, um, that is the feeling. It wasn't that I didn't laugh at those times because I did, but I wouldn't, well, as I look back on that time, I would say there was a deep, a, a deficit of laughter in those time periods of my life. Um, so in what, in that sense, it totally made sense to me. But in another sense, I was like, no way am I going from 23 to 70 without laughing. No. I know. I was kind of wondering how we fall in, you know, the categorizations, because I don't think that there would be any day where I wouldn't smile or laugh, which is what they were asking people. And, you know, around 23, people were regularly saying no. And mm-hmm. I was like, how is that possible? And but internationally, then, too. It wasn't just in the U.S. It was worldwide people were saying no. But they also had another statistic along with it. They were saying that the average four-year-old laughs 300 times a day, which granted that seems a lot that seems excessive <laughs> but they were saying that the average 40 year old takes two and a half months to reach the same number of laughs so when I was thinking about if they asked me do I laugh or smile every day I would definitely be saying yes but then I'm like do I laugh or smile 300 times a day well probably not but I still was wondering because you don't keep track of those things mm-hmm. so I'm like well where do I fall maybe I'm just above average in the the humor category for these sort mm-hmm. of this sort of stuff but that also makes me sad because right. I don't want people to not be smiling and laughing. Right. I just can't quite imagine not laughing. Well, they were saying, as you were talking about, that the age range is basically when you're working, so in your career, and that there is something associated with that, even if it's not the only thing, because, you know, you're told to be serious and adult and sort of, you know have that kind of outlook so I do understand that to a point but part of the reason I love working is because I love to laugh and stuff with my friends that I make at work or my colleagues now I'm not in the same sort of professional setting that someone else might be but I still just don't understand how you couldn't have those relationships at work it kind of I don't know boggles my mind Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I do recognize that there are companies out there that essentially have policies in place to decrease humor in the office because they are trying to decrease the amount of time you spend off task. So Lame. they don't call it humorless, but they would say, you know, like stop, breaks need to be X amount of time by yourself, not, you know, I mean, like they companies will build some of that into it so then those of us who even around those particular like laws that are in place would still be would still want to be humorous with people might be afraid to do so because the the rules around you are like hinting very strongly at not being funny that's true and I suppose also it depends on how much you're sort of working on your own In my job, I have a lot of alone time, but I still see people, but I'm sure that there are jobs where you're really not seeing people very much. Or if you're working like in a job, maybe where you're in a lab or something, I guess maybe there's not a lot of opportunity to sort of like horse around or I don't know, but it seems you would still sort of, I don't know, have some camaraderie with your, the people at your lab bench. I don't know. I find this hard to understand a lot. Right? Well, and the point of the episode is that we need to break out of that. We the, the rest of the episode is essentially why humor is amazing. So there's lots of studies about humor in the workplace and people who can use humor correctly, like are liked more, move up more, look better to trusted everybody in more. the company, trusted more. So bonded more. Mm-hmm. I think it's such a benefit because I know if I'm having a bad day, what I want is to find somebody to laugh or make me smile. And so we'll do like little dance breaks at work. And even the people, like if I have one of my colleagues that refuses to actually dance with me, but if I sit there and act like an idiot and dance on my own, then I will still make them feel better because they will laugh whether they'll actually participate or not. So I don't know, something so small that literally takes 30 seconds can just 
you know, change your whole outlook on the day. Mm -hmm. So I just don't understand the point of not wanting humor in your workplace. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this episode will, should hopefully convince anyone's boss that you need humor in the workplace. There were uh, examples provided like Madeline Albright. So Madeline Albright was known for these pins that she would wear as a form of essentially communication with uh, reporters and so if she was in a good mood she was wearing certain pins if she was in a bad mood she was in wearing other pins and when asked how she was doing she would literally say read my pins <laughs> the best was they had a couple instances where she wore them in response to something that happened and one of them was she went into some kind of meeting or something with someone from Russia after it had broke that they had bugged some kind of I don't know, conversations or area. I'm not sure the exact details, but she wore a big giant bug pin. So there was no question that she knew exactly what happened and was basically like calling them out. And I was like, yes, yes, that is amazing. (laughs) Yes. And then even like Ronald Reagan, I guess, was known for his jokes. He would have these one-liners and he would pull them out. And that's why people thought he was... No, the man next door, the man for the job. I can't remember what the statistic was, but they, around that same area in the podcast, they were talking about that even leaders who just had a sense of humor, not necessarily that made jokes, but that could laugh and had a sense of humor, the like percentage of people that approved of them or liked them was significantly higher than other leaders. And it works for couples. They had couples come in and share a story about the time they laughed together. And then other couples come in and just share a story when they were happy. And then they made this, these couples fill out questionnaires and with like satisfaction in their relationship, the couples who shared stories that were just about laughter, they were 23% more satisfied in their relationship than just people telling happy stories. Like, and you'd think those would overlap. That's what I was going to say. You would kind of think that those would be the same and that both would equate to the same sort of feelings of just happiness. So, and also if you're asking somebody to tell me a happy memory, that could often be a humorous memory. So you would think that that would, you know, be sort of a similar sort of answer and a similar satisfaction. So it's amazing that when you get people to talk about humor that it actually does increase their satisfaction. And along that same line, they were talking about how humor can do so much stuff because they said it can, there's like a link between your memory and humor. So if something is funny, you'll actually are more likely to remember it. And that Mm -hmm. using humor can completely sort of reframe whatever you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think 11%, they had a study of students and students who had like a a lecture that ended with a laugh versus a lecture that didn't end with a joke and a joke didn't have to be good it could be like a you know a kind of stereotypical dad joke a groaner but the students that had the laughing lecture did 11 percent higher on their exams that's the difference between an a and a b yeah exactly like i was like oh my gosh (laughs) you know you just mentioned the like dad joke thing they didn't really go into it but they started the podcast episode off talking about her family and um this class that she had done for her daughter and that all of them thought that basically the dad or the brother was the funniest and then she went home and she was 30 second graders yes yeah and then (laughs) she went home and she was like you know basically all offended and her mind was blown and she's like no my family's not going to be the same way and essentially they were I mean, I think they even said the dog was funnier than her. Yeah, that's why I'm laughing. But- <laughs> She's like, they all our kids were like, oh yeah, dad's the funniest, then we're funny, then the dog is funny, and then and you, then mom. You. <laughs> but they didn't really go into it, but she was saying that there did seem to be sort of the perception that the dad or the men are funnier, mm-hmm. and they didn't really go into why that was, but I found that to be sort of interesting. Mm-hmm. I wonder why that is. Yeah, I'm wondering if there's more in the book about that or if she doesn't go into gender about that, but I was really interested in that too. But I did find it amazing that they thought even the dog was funnier. Yes. (laughs) Classic. Well, particularly because like they end the episode, not the very, very end, but towards the end of the episode, they play clips both of Seinfeld, so Jerry Seinfeld, 
and of Ellen DeGeneres. So it's obvious that women can be funny because Ellen was funny. Not that Jerry wasn't. Seinfeld was funny also. Um, but like, it was just one of those, like, it's not contradictory, but it is just proof that like women are funny. Right. Women are funny. I mean, I'm funny. You're funny. Women can be funny. Although mm-hmm. to be fair, I often have to tell people I'm funny. So maybe I'm not <laughs> And they did specifically funny. say that if you have to say it's a joke, it's probably not funny. <laughs> hey, I make myself laugh. All right. <laughs> but that was also that more about if, it, if your joke was mean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my, my jokes aren't mean. I, I'm just joking or laughing because I will constantly make a joke or be laughing about something. And then I have to tell him here, I'm funny. That was funny. I'm funny. And then he He's always like, okay, yeah, you're you're funny. I'm like, man. But he's like, I in general, <laughs> yeah, in general, as a whole, women can be funny for sure. It's just the overall perception is that apparently men are funnier. Mm-hmm. So not fair. I really liked in the podcast, it said, well, someone was quoted as saying, where humor exists, love is not far behind. Yes, I loved that also. I don't remember who said that, but I thought that was amazing. Mm -hmm. I also thought it was really interesting how they were talking about humor in terms of things like grief and places where you wouldn't actually expect it to be appropriate to have humor, but that actually is really positive in those sort of situations. And the best example they give, they had a a clip of Shaq giving a eulogy for Kobe Bryant. <laughs> yeah. And he he made a funny joke and everybody's laughing and it was actually really nice. And they were saying you would think that maybe that would lead you to believe, you know, that that's like inappropriate in that sort of moment. But actually it's like a sign of respect and it's mm-hmm. sort of like showing a relationship and a connection. And I guess in a way that also goes back to what you were just saying about when humor exists, love is not far behind. Mm-hmm. And then they gave some really interesting s- statistics about when people actually laugh out loud at funerals. Mm-hmm. I think they said there, there's like, was it 30% less anger? Was it more than that? It was 80%. Oh, less 80%. Anger. And oh, it was 35% less distress. Yeah. And then they said that all of those people felt more positive about then being able to move forward after mm-hmm. it. And I thought that was amazing. And it's just like, wow, we need we need humor in every in everything that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And of course, like going back, like when you laugh, it really does. It, so it, it actually releases a certain kind of cocktail of healthy hormones. So when you laugh, it increases your endorphins, just like you would if you were exercising. It decreases your cortisol, which is the what happens when you meditate. And then it increases your oxytocin, which comes out when you're having sex or you're in childbirth, when you're trying to bond with someone. And so that's why the joke comes out that at the same, when you're laughing with somebody, it's like you're exercising, meditating, and having sex with them all at the same time. Because that those three um, hormones are all coming out when you laugh. And so you are connecting more to that person. You feel better around them. You feel almost more relaxed so you're both excited to be there you're relaxed you're more relaxed around them and you're feeling connected to them so what you're telling me is laughter is the best medicine absolutely (laughs) (laughs) without a doubt which they didn't say in the episode how did they miss that (laughs) I don't know I thought I was I was funny Megan I was funny I laughed (laughs) so at the very end of the episode now the actual very end, they talk about different ways um, to actually be humorous. So they kind of break down how humor works uh, in almost um, a literary sense. So they talked, they did talk about Seinfeld and Ellen DeGeneres and how they tend to exaggerate truths. So when you do improv, it's always, you have to go into improv with this very understanding of yes, and so whatever the other person, the other actor throws at you, you've got to say yes, and then you add to it. And that yes and is oftentimes, if you can apply that to life in other ways, that's very beneficial for you. And then 
and also fairly funny. And the last type of humor they talked about is calling back, callbacks. So if Shosh and I were could then wrap this around to something we talked about at the very beginning of the episode or like strawberries in some way, shape or form, like that would be humorous and when when done correctly or done well which i'm not sure i have the capacity <laughs> to pull off so well not on command <laughs> yeah i am not a comedian there is a discussion in the in the podcast about how one of the reasons people stop using humor not just because the office tells you that you shouldn't, but is because occasionally you might have come into a situation where you thought you were being humorous and the people around you were offended or hurt. And so you, instead of really learning from that, you just, what you learned was to not try and use humor. And so they did say like, if you are, if you say something, if you say something that you think is humorous, but you remove the humor and the truth of your statement still is valid, then what you said had validity or an integrity and is probably okay and not offensive. But if you remove the humor and it's no longer a true statement, it's no, then what you said doesn't have integrity and is more likely to be just hurtful. Which I thought was a good little piece of advice. For sure. Because I think most people just say things without really thinking it through. And that's sometimes, I think, why you can have things, you know, be taken the wrong way or accidentally say something that's mean or hurtful. Yep. And they didn't talk about it in the podcast, but I think oftentimes the goal is not to learn not to be funny. But the goal is to, like, if you've hurt somebody, learn how to say sorry. (laughs) And then it'll be just fine. And recognize so that maybe you don't do it again. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Also, they didn't talk about it too much, but I thought it was interesting that the host was sort of commenting or asking about if one of the other reasons is, is that now people see things that are funny and they say, oh, that's funny, but they don't actually laugh at it. And I thought that was really interesting because I think I actually do that sometimes. I mean, I definitely laugh and smile, but a lot of times if I see like a meme or something online, I will say, oh yeah, that's funny, but I don't necessarily actually truly laugh at it. And I thought that that was really interesting that, I don't know, you might think that you have humor because you're, I don't know, seeing something funny, but I don't, is, does it count as humorous if you're not actually laughing, if you're just saying that's funny? I don't know. They didn't really discuss it much, but when he said mm-hmm. that, I was like, that's such an interesting thought. Or just what are we actually saying to somebody when we say, oh, that's funny, versus like sending the crying laughing face emoji? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like that could be a whole other discussion. Anything else you want to say about humor? No, just that I think you and I are doing a service to the world by putting more laughter <laughs> into it. Hopefully Absolutely. others find us funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, I find us funny. Shall we talk about some books? Yes. So we're going to talk about the Ember in the Ashes series, again, by Sabah Tahir. And we are going to do this a little differently today. So we're going to talk about the series, all four books, uh, but we're going to do it like we always would in terms of no spoilers. But then at the end of the episode, so after we talk about what we can't get let go of this week and we say goodbye, we're going to come back and then we're going to talk about the books with all everything spoilers <laughs> <laughs> because we really want to talk about this book well these books and we don't want to uh, censor ourselves so we will have a censored conversation and then we will end with a non-censored conversation yes so if you have read these books and you want to hear more or if you don't care about spoilers then you can listen to a little bonus conversation at the end Um, But for now, we will have our regular discussion. So this is four books, Ember in the Ashes, Torch Against the Night, Reaper at the Gates, and Sky Beyond the Storm. So it is quite a commitment because there are four of them. Let's see. The thing I really liked about the book 
is that it switches back and forth between the viewpoints of different characters. Mm-hmm. So usually the three main characters, but occasionally you'll get a bonus chapter from another character thrown in. But that I really liked. But that's also, I think, part of the reason why it takes four books to get to the end, because you sort of have the same story, but also different stories all kind of happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. Agreed. It's hard to go back and think about the original and Ember in the Ashes. So we started reading this because Shosh had seen a lot about it and heard it was really good. I somehow had overlooked all of the hype. And I was a little hesitant just because the setting in which it is set sorry (laughs) um, is not usually one that interests me but so many people had said we should read it and I looked it up and like people that I knew in my circles had loved it I was like okay let's do it I was kind of the same because I had seen it so much that it was on my radar and I kept kind of looking at it. But when I read the description of the first book, I was like, this isn't really what I would normally pick up. But I saw so much about it. When when something stays on a bestseller list for a super long time or I just see it pop up everywhere, I'm just so curious that I want to read it. So sometimes I'll end up reading something that I wouldn't pick up on my own just because I want to know what all the hype is about. Mm -hmm. So when we were looking for a new book, I was kind of like, Megan, read this with me. If we do it together, then I'll definitely read it. And I am very interested to find out what everyone is talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And the setting is ancient Rome. Uh, I don't think that's giving anything away. Um, And as I say, like that time period, I don't know, takes me back to like fifth grade or something, because I think that's what we studied. (laughs) We studied ancient Rome in fifth grade. And I was just like, I don't know. I just really am not that interested. But Shosh was like, let's read it. And I was like, okay, let's do it. So we did. And then we read all four. <laughs> back to back to back to back. Yeah, we had to find out what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad that we waited so that we could read them all four and we didn't have to wait because the waiting. That would have been the go- worst. Yeah. I hate waiting. I would much rather binge. <sighs> that goes for mm-hmm. basically anything. Mm-hmm. TV shows, books. I don't like waiting. Yeah. Waiting I'll do stuff. it if I have to, but I don't like it. Right. I'm impatient. <laughs> I yeah. want it immediately. It's the story of a scholar girl. So sort of a repressed collective of the society who is trying to overcome that and I mean, I guess kind of save the world. I don't I don't even know. Yeah, a better I mean, way to describe one, it. You don't really know that the world needs saving. She's trying to save her family, really, at mm-hmm. the beginning. Yeah. And then the second, so that's Leia. Mm-hmm. Then there's Elias, and he is sort of a character that's pigeonholed into like a soldier sort of lifestyle, but he doesn't want to be in that. He wants to like you know break out of that i guess and be able to be free i guess does that sort of seem right Mm -hmm. yeah i mean his whole thing is freedom throughout the entire series and then there's the third character which is helene and she is trained and grows up with elias as a soldier so it's the story of their friendship and where that goes but then also sort of the divergence of their paths of him wanting to be free and her really wanting to stay within the empire and then of course all of them have different arcs and growth throughout the whole thing so it's it's a lot because it's four books Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Helene has an interesting position because they only let one woman in per class. So she is the only woman surrounded by a full, I don't know if they ever gave a number, but I always imagined like 300 other men. So she has a very unique position there. Yeah, first, definitely. And so, of course, that plays a big role in sort of her character development. Um, the way she sees things she's definitely you know not there's not a lot of women in that respect for her to turn to she's kind of on her own quite a bit in that Mm -hmm. respect 
And the other women who are in positions of leadership do not want to be mentors. Right. Yeah. So this won't give anything away because you will find out right at the beginning that you do not like the character called the commandant, but one of their main sort of teachers who ends up being sort of the villain throughout the whole book is the commandant and we hate her. Yeah, she's awful. (laughs) She's awful. She's also Elias's mom. She has no redeeming qualities, friends. (laughs) So basically this is the story of what happens in an empire that is faced with lots of challenges, including sort of like ancient um, past mistakes Mm -hmm. and them sort of dealing with all that and trying to come through to the other side. Mm -hmm. Does that work? I'm finding these books very hard to describe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are. So, I mean, you have an empire and you have a ruling class and then you have the people that they rule so uh, and they don't do that kindly um (laughs) there are slaves they do not respect um education they do they respect physical might only uh and they raise their children to be an army to continue on that physical strength dominance um, except for, of course, if you have a woman, then there's a, there, but there's one. So women are included if you're the best, but that's about it. Otherwise, you have to go and do female things that are just the same type of female things we talk about in our world. Housekeeping, children rearing. Nothing's wrong with those things, only that men should be doing them too. That's all I'm saying. Or at least both should have equal opportunity to do them if they want to. Exactly. So maybe we leave it there so that we, because I think it'll be a little easier for us to discuss if we're not trying to be so careful about all of the things that we're saying. So since we are going to have the other discussion, we'll leave it there, but maybe we'll just give a rating first. So what, what's your rating for these books, Megan? Yeah, I'm pretty sure um, that I gave each book a four. Uh, I couldn't give book, I wanted to give book two a five because it is so well written, but I was angry at the book for how it made me feel. And so it still got four stars. (laughs) So I love that I'm the one that usually rates on feeling and you have your like set criteria. And yet this time your feelings forced you into it. Yeah, I, yeah, I specifically said I'm being a brat and not giving a book a five because it made me mad. And then a book three, actually, I gave three stars. Yeah, I was going to say, I was pretty similar, I think, in my ratings. Um, I think overall, maybe I would give the series a little bit higher, maybe like a 4.5 or something. Because I think once you get to the end and you've made it through the whole thing, I don't know, you're really attached, you're really into the story, you've really invested. And it is really well written. But book three in particular I struggled with a little bit so and I think we'll maybe just leave it at that and talk a little bit more about why when we get to our other discussion because otherwise we'll just keep going we'll just keep going forever agreed although I just I have to say so I'm on Goodreads right now and if you hover your the cursor over five stars it comes up with the words it was amazing if you hover it over four stars really liked it three stars liked it four stars it was okay and one you mean two two stars stars. sorry yep two stars it was okay and one star did not like it who knew i didn't know that goodreads had a specific concept with each rating but now now you know we all know so there you go all right megan here we go let's talk about the circle this is what happened (laughs) <laughs> this is what happened. This is all Megan's fault. Megan, and I accept all the blame and I love it. So there's a show called The Circle on Netflix, which is a new American version of a British TV show. And the second season just came out. So I had seen it pop up on my Netflix and I'm going to be honest. I thought it looked awful. I ignored it. 
because I don't really watch reality TV and it looked stupid. I'm just gonna be <laughs> blunt. It looked dumb. But then Megan comes on and she's like, look, the show is not actually amazing, but it's amazing. I the second season just came out. I'm freaking out. I've already, you know, she'd already watched the first season, so she was freaking out about the second season. I didn't even know about the first season when it came out. She's like, you have to watch it. I need somebody to watch it. We got to talk about it. You have to watch it. And so I was like, all right, I've been ignoring this. I wouldn't normally watch it, but she was freaking out so much that I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a chance. Yeah. It took one episode. I was watching the first episode and I was like, yep, this is stupid. Why, why did I agree to this? But then you get to the end of the first episode and you're like, but wait, you're like, what's going to happen next? Sucked right in. Yes. Yeah. And then, I don't know, within a week, maybe less. I don't even know because we just watched so many episodes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I think we watched most of them over the weekend. So it hasn't even been a week yet. We binged the entire first season and all that is available of the second season. And I blame Megan. So appreciative. (laughs) So for me, this, it came when it came, when the first season came out. I don't remember why I even started it, although I think it's because when I read the description, it sounded very, like, the description explains that it's essentially a social commentary on social media, and a reality TV show that's social commentary on social media, yeah, okay, I'm gonna have to at least know what this is so I had the same thing I watched the first episode and the first episode I it was so over the top these people are so like they they have to be big personalities and I was just like oh I don't know I don't know if I can do this like I I love people but I don't know if I love them that much that's a lot of that's a big big thing but then the first episode like the, the way it ends I'm like oh yeah you can't end there so then you have to watch the next episode and by the time you can stop watching um you've watched them all yeah you've watched all that's available and then when they come back the next week you have to watch and I was the only one that I knew that was watching this first season but I was able to find some podcasts that were talking about it and some other things so I found ways to get people like to you know to have that conversation with people when the second season came out as you know, I was like, okay, I want someone to watch this with me. Bigness of the personalities didn't bother me as much the second time around because I expected it. I was like, okay, they're over the top. It's fine. I know that. I'm going to just ignore as much of that as I can. And then, ironically, the person who annoyed me the most was probably the smallest, calmest personality. I was like, yep. What's, this is weird, Agreed. but I don't like him. <laughs> But, you know, some of the personality stuff grows on you because, for example, in the first season, one of the characters' name is Joey, and I hated him at first. I was like, oh, my God, he's so annoying. Why is he even here? Especially because part of the way they do it, because it's all through social media, is they have to say everything that they're thinking or reading out loud. And so they're like, you're constantly just getting this commentary from them. I mean, that's really the only way to do it because otherwise you'd obviously have to be reading everything and who wants to, you know, do that. Read a TV show. (laughs) I know, right? So you're like, so the hobbies like, can't do that. Um, So they're all constantly talking and like he was so loud and he was just really like his personality was huge. But the longer he was on the show, the more I liked him. And he really won me over. And that's already happening with one of the characters in season two also. Um, because there's a character named Chloe who the same thing, she came in and I was like, oh my God, she's so annoying. She's so just, you know, everything, you know, is kind of negative. She's so loud. She thinks everything is about her. And like, you're watching a show and like, she's freaking out that someone's going to like come visit her. I'm like, no one is going to come visit you. They do not care. Like, go put your pajamas on and shush. (laughs) She's so funny like the more I watch the funnier she is even though she is a little bit kind of dumb and she just makes me laugh so much that she's really just won me over and now I mean she's still ridiculous but I kind of really like her now so even some of the crazy personalities like they end up winning you over Mm -hmm. and like Megan said the one that you would think is the most low-key drama-free person I was like nope you gotta go man please just go away I don't like you (laughs) 
It was so funny. So I guess we should take one step back. For those of you who haven't watched The Circle, the way it works is they get, they have, they start with six or eight? I think six. Yeah, so six contestants who all live in the same, essentially like hotel-like building. So you, they each contestant gets their own room, their own space. It's very nice. It's decorated. I think it's supposed to be decorated for their personality, in fact. And then the only way that these six people can communicate with each other is through a Facebook-like technology called The Circle. And The Circle shows up on their TV and The Circle sends them alerts. It then allows them to chat with each other but only at specific times. It plays games with them. So it will throw out an alert and then they all have to play a game together of the circles choosing. And then throughout the show, the six contestants rank each other from their favorite to their least or their whoever they think is the least competition to the most competition it's it's their however they want to rank them that they rank them and then the top two people become what's called influencers and the influencers get to send somebody home then throughout the show new people come on so that there's always between six and eight until you get you dwindle them down at the very end and then one person wins and they win a hundred thousand dollars but there's constantly Mm -hmm. twists it's never the same Mm-hmm. so you never actually know what's going to happen they'll just totally change something and th- so far that's been different also between the two seasons like some mm-hmm. of the things have been the same but there have been some things that have happened in season two that did not happen in season one so you mm-hmm. never know not only what's going to change but they end the episode in a different place every single time also so you really never know what's happening where you're ending that's part of what makes you want to keep watching every Mm -hmm. time because you're like what i have to learn this thing yep and i have to say i really like some of the games and things they play sometimes they do like challenges and they're really funny i really like them Yes. And they communicate to each other through, so they each get a, like a profile page. So you have seen a picture of them, but what you don't know, and what Ooh. the audience knows, but what the people living there don't know is whether or not that picture is actually your picture or if you are catfishing and you are using somebody else's photo. So yeah, we didn't even talk it, about that. Right? Catfish, catfish, catfish. Some of the intrigue is all about whether or not you trust that the person who is who you're speaking with is actually who they say they are so you get men playing women women playing men men playing younger versions of themselves women playing younger versions of themselves whatever and then like first season there was actually like a mother-son pairing that was on the show so the two people shared an apartment um which was a little that weird was weird whatever well you know it's his like that pairing's brother is on the show the second season right um which i thought was funny i thought that was funny too yeah um and i i like the brother we got this time much better much better (laughs) i didn't like the the first pairing very well it was weird well to be fair the brother now said that he came on and was like look they embarrassed us i'm here to be normal <laughs> that and is I was true. like, thank you for acknowledging that that makes me like you more <laughs> exactly welcome. so as far as the catfish go i don't really like the catfish i have a hard time liking them because i feel like they're lying i just like the people who are genuine that being said the things that i like about having the catfish there are sort of the social commentary on the fact that on, when you're on social media in real life, you don't actually know who you're talking um, to at any given time. It really happens to a lot of people all the time. I mean, there's the whole show called Catfish about people who have been catfished online. So I really like that as sort of a social commentary. And I do like sometimes when the people get caught not really knowing how to maneuver through a situation because they're playing somebody else. For example, in the first episode, 
there was a guy playing a girl and the women started having a chat about their periods and cramps and his <laughs> face when it was happening and the way he was reacting and the things he was trying to say. I mean, it was a mess, but it was oh, hilarious. Yeah. So there's oh, some moments like that that I really like, but as a whole, I'm not a fan of the catfishing. I wish people would just go in as themselves. Yeah, I'm the same. I like I keep trying to kind of give the catfish like I don't know I don't, the benefit of the doubt or whatever is the equivalent of that for liking them on a show, uh, but I just can't. I never want them to win. Yeah, agreed. There's one. This isn't really a spoiler because you find it out literally at the beginning of the first episode, but there's a contestant on the second season who is a woman playing her husband as a single father. And that is probably the hardest of all of them that I like to deal with for me of all of the catfish because the other ones are playing somebody else, but it doesn't feel so like, I don't know, slimy for lack of a better word, but I and really don't from there, <laughs> but I really don't like it that she's playing this, like, I don't know, vulnerable sort of card. Like, Oh, I'm the single dad, like trying to play on the heartstrings. Like, I don't know. It feels gross and I don't like it. The other characters, while I still can't, I have a hard time getting behind the catfish. They're not, they're usually just playing themselves, but looking differently or themselves as like a younger version but mm-hmm. she's like I don't know it feels too fake and too gross and I just I really can't get behind that I don't know I don't like it yeah I'm the same uh particularly because like I am kind of liking River who is a catfish pl- just playing a young he's a guy playing a younger guy and I really enjoy him <laughs> it's addicting that's all I know. And yeah. I blame Megan for making me watch it. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Um, yeah. And like one episode's really like four episodes. <laughs> so like I was like, I'd watched the first, I watched the first four and then it said like the next episode comes out on Wednesday. It's like, okay. So the next Wednesday came and I watched one episode and I freaked out because I couldn't believe that they were going to end the episode where they did and I was gonna have to wait a week and then it started playing the next episode and I was like I'm really confused but I listened so that I watched episode six and then episode seven I started to freak out because of where it ended and episode seven was there and I was like I do not understand what is going on what's gonna happen I don't know press play what now I don't know press play alert alert also there's so many cameras cameras everywhere cameras 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 everywhere and I would not be okay with that there's cameras in the bathroom there's cameras when she was taking a bath there's cameras in the kitchen, living room, bedroom. Shosh and I were talking about this earlier, and I was asking asking her, I was like, do you think they're locked in when they're not supposed to leave their room? <laughs> I think they're probably just cameras, so they can't, <laughs> they're told they can't leave and they'll know if they do. I'm kind of hoping there's like an off button, like they can tell them, I'm going to change now. Can you t- turn off the cameras or something? Because... I don't think I would like them watching me, you know, get into the bath or the shower Mm -hmm. or go to the bathroom because there's definitely cameras everywhere and they will show people showering, not anything inappropriate, just from like the head up or like Megan said in the bath. And I mean, that's the thing. I mean, while it's not, I guess, always the most um, appealing view, I don't think I would really mind, I guess, if somebody is watching me brush my teeth. I mean, again, I probably don't look the best, but like, whatever. But um, yeah, I don't think I really want, even if it's not being aired, people watching me get in the shower. Season one is only 12 episodes. What? Yeah. Does that mean we only have one more week of... (laughs) I don't know. I think that can't be right. Give us more circles. Ooh, the circle is number one in U.S. today. (laughs) See? Watch it. We're telling you. Uh, It's not good, but it's so good. I just had a conversation with my friend in France, and I told her she had to watch it, and she's to report back. I was like, you have to watch. Megan got me addicted. 
you know, just give it a chance, at least a couple episodes, even though I was hooked by the end of one. Like, say, if through you one, through the first one and not want to watch number two, you have a, a willpower I do not have. <laughs> well, because I was going to say, like, through one, I was like, this is stupid. This is annoying. What am I watching? But by the time it ends, then you're like, but wait, I got to find out what's going to happen next. And then you watch and then you keep watching. But yeah, so I was like, um, make it at least through all of episode one. You gotta at least give it that. Yay. Want to say before we move on to our spoiler-filled book discussion? Don't think so. Okay. Awesome. Thanks for listening for anyone who's not gonna stick around for our book conversation. Yes. Bye, people who don't like spoilers. <laughs> Okay, so now we can talk about The Amber and the Ashes without worrying about spoilers. Yay! Okay, can I just say my biggest problem with this book and why I'm not screaming five stars from the roof is it doesn't have enough happy endings throughout these books. There's not enough happy happy stuff. I like happy endings. I need good things to happen. I want love stories. I, t- I know sometimes it takes a while to get there, and I know in the end we did technically get our happy ending, but four books is a lot to basically not get a happy ending until literally, like, I don't know, the last three chapters or something. Yeah. How do you well, feel about essentially that? It's like an epilogue. Well, so, I mean, even book two, the reason it got a lower rating, four stars instead of five, is because of three, literally, right? no, book three got three stars. Oh, oh, yes, book okay. two got four stars, but not five stars because you don't get a happy ending until the last page. And I was like, no, you can't get five stars. You're going to put me through like 99% anguish and then one page of, but it'll get better. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, when you're reading, you do feel hopeful. Like you mm-hmm. think this will somehow work out. It has to, but there's there's no I don't know anytime you even get the tiniest blip of happiness or good feelings about something which is not nearly enough it then just gets all messed up again and it's literally not until the very end that it all comes together and you're like oh finally and then you get scared towards the end because every time as Shosha was saying like every time something good happens essentially it's followed up by something bad happening so then you get like some sort of PTSD every time something good happens. And the bad character, the like villain, the commandant we were talking about, she just gets worse and worse and worse throughout the entire book. And I kept thinking, I mean, she could never really redeem herself in my mind because she was so terrible, but I kept thinking like somehow she's going to have this like aha moment and like do something really good and like try to at least redeem herself. But it really didn't happen. <laughs> Mm-mm. she's just literally terrible <laughs> the entire time yeah it's so strange because she's like redeemed at the end because her mother loved her and like that's just super interesting like not yeah. bad but like just super interesting to think about in terms like to apply that to like today where maybe there's someone in jail who did horrible things but whose parents really love them and could that love redeem them you know what I mean it's this really interesting I like it but I'm uncomfortable with it but I like it well how did you also feel about the person who finally got to kill her like were you happy with her death or did you feel like a little bit let down after the whole time I mean I didn't feel let down but it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't terribly impactful either. Well, I was going to say, because like, I, I guess I wouldn't say I felt let down because it's not like I hated the fact that Leia's mom got to kill her because they had their own history and in some ways, like she deserved to do it. But I also kind of the whole time thought one of the three main characters who all could have had a claim for sure. Mm-hmm on killing her would gonna somehow get to like i don't know finally take out this horrible bad guy basically and i don't know that was in a way like maybe a little disappointing 
mm-hmm. like a little bit like there was kind of like this buildup of all of them I don't know <laughs> having to deal with all of her stuff for all of these books and then in the end I don't know it felt a little uneventful almost exactly yeah yeah I wasn't like disappointed per se but I was definitely like mm. it's just right, it happened up- Right. It doesn't feel justified because you've we've read four books by that point of this woman being atrocious to her own child, atrocious to people that she that she, yeah, that she knows her child cares about. Uh, just absolutely selfish, greedy, all of those things. And then like this character you barely know who's quite frankly been pretty annoying like (laughs) yes right (laughs) well cook kills her right and then her mom who's a ghost man this is sounding really bizarre if you don't know all of the backstory in this book but her mom who's the ghost who's basically been waiting for her for like 30 years to pass on is then the one that like you said really like claims her and helps with her sort of i guess redemption right and call it that yeah i don't know there were a lot of things that i did like about the books and they were really well written but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of dark stuff also yes and a little too much focus on prophecy oh my gosh there were so many prophecies so many and at first i was writing them down and i was like megan we're gonna figure out what all these prophecies mean we're gonna be able to like figure out all these clues it's impossible there are literally so many prophecies and too many obscure references it is impossible you can't figure them out you don't know what they mean and you can't even hardly remember them until they tell you the prophecy is coming true mm-hmm. and then if so i then you've forgotten you, that the prophecy yep. even was said and you're like who said that other than an auger like were they all cane and you're like no somebody else said them I don't know. Well, but then there's also, yeah, so there's these augers who can, like, see the future and have all these prophecies. There's these djinn characters that give prophecies when they die. There's just, yeah, there's a lot of prophecies. Yeah. I think, are there some prophecies in the storytelling from the tribes also, maybe? Probably. I don't know. It's It was so many. At, like I said, at first, I was really excited about them when they started popping up. And I was like, ooh, this cool prophecy. Megan, we're going to totally figure this out. It's going to be so cool. And then there's so many of them, you can't keep track of them. And you literally cannot figure out any of them. You can't figure out a single one, really. Right. And you can't even be sure, like, with that first one that had, like, I don't know, six parts to it or something. I was like, I don't even know if we've met all the characters. I don't even trust that we, like, can even know, even play around with them. Because for all I know, one's not even born yet. (laughs) Right. And, well, to be honest at least on some of them we didn't know all of the characters or parts so we couldn't have figured it out again until they tell us right and they're like oh he's the beekeeper or whatever it is mm-hmm. and i never went back to look at them but literally there were so many of them that other than the parts that they brought back in and told us were fulfilled i don't even know if they all were fulfilled same. i honestly have no idea same i'm sure there's someone who's done a deep dive and does know so if that's you let us know but <laughs> Yeah, I definitely. I was like, I'm just going to trust that those are all addressed because it was way too many. Way too many. Way too many. But you just, I just kept reading because it was so well written. And I really, you know, and I had certain pairings that I needed to have happen. Elias and Leia. I was to have that from the beginning. I really wish that there had been more time of them together yeah one page maybe two i mean i guess two chapters if you count but it wasn't the focus of those two chapters you just knew they were together in the leia chapter i know but it was so frustrating because it's like from the very beginning you want them to be together and they have this connection and you know basically the whole thing starts and then there's like hints of it and supposedly like they have feelings for each other the whole time and literally the whole time you're waiting for them to be together and there's little tiny crumbs just enough to like make you want to keep going and know you want them together but crumbs like are juice, you right yeah yeah 
<laughs> exactly. But then, literally, it takes four books before you get anything that's really rewarding and barely at that because it's at the very end. Yeah, they might as well be epilogues. Like, it's essentially, you've read this entire book, and then at the epilogue, you get happiness. <laughs> it was not enough. <laughs> Could I have another epilogue that's the happy ever after of all the story of all of them, please? Yes. Yeah. And then, well, with Helene and Harper, you don't even get a happy ending. Harper dies. Yeah. But you knew okay. it's foreshadowed and blah, blah, blah. Like, I, you know, it's not like I hadn't been saying, I don't think Harper's going to make it. But, yeah. boo. That doesn't mean we didn't want him to. Right. That was not cool, man. Yeah. I loved Harper. He dealt with Helene so well. He was so good to his half-brother. I have to say, a lot of people die in this series. <laughs> and I'm not happy about, about all of it. Um, I mean, most of the death is people that you don't know. But there's, like, a lot of death. And some of the characters that die, you're like, did that was that really necessary? Did Darren have to die? Did Harper have to die? Did literally all of Helene's family have to die? I mean, it's just like, what's the point? I know, so much death. I mean, and a lot of, I mean, a large point of the final book is that essentially like the world has to burn to be ever in the ashes and to be rebuilt. Um, so you get go in that sense, you at least book title wise return to the beginning, but. I mean, there were lots really good, like lots of really good parts with like growth of characters. And again, the story is very good and it is very interesting to see all the different bits because they're all working on different parts and they're separated for most of it. See, that's the other thing. They don't even really start to cross back over. Like, you know, they're kind of together at the beginning, then they all split up for way too long. And then it's not really until the end again when they all come back together, but the best is when they're all together. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did like there there are really good stories in there and really good you know sort of character arcs and things like Helene at the beginning who was so like everything by the books the marshals and the empire is all that's important and by the end you know she's bringing everybody together she's given up her mask which is like basically the biggest symbol of being sort of like a elite warrior and you know she's happy with like the scars and being herself and not hiding behind it and stuff so like there there is lots of really good stuff behind all of the stories and the things that happen but yeah just i wish there had been more more happiness along the way mm-hmm. well and in many ways helene actually probably has the smallest amount of character growth because even at the end like she has a very different understanding like the growth comes from her understanding of what empire really should mean but she was fairly closed off to a, the idea of a relationship in the beginning for more reasons. End. Right. Maybe in the beginning it was more for, because the, that's how the world told her she, she should be. And then at the end, like she was more owning that, but that was still disappointing. Like she, she has experienced love on multiple levels and know how amazing it is. And, her actions indicate that she's maybe still open to that but her words still don't yeah she's very closed off more than i would have liked i was yelling at her through a lot of the book being like why are you doing this just let him in or just open up or just you know Mm -hmm. allow yourself to love and be loved so yeah that was a bit frustrating yeah. Well, and, and then you had like, Leia and Elias who wanted to be in love and couldn't. Right. I mean, so much of the book is dealing with how do you live after losing love? And there are healthy ways to do that and very unhealthy ways to do that. The commandant <laughs> is a lot of unhealthy ways. Mira slash cook, a lot of unhealthy ways. <laughs> so we get to see a lot of unhealthy ways to handle having love and having lost that love. Like the Nightbringer, lots of unhealthy ways. Definitely. But man, people, lots of anger. Mm-hmm. They needed some laughter. They did. They needed some laughter. That's the best medicine. That's right. <laughs> and that's a callback, my friends. 
see what you did there. <laughs> Any other yeah. stuff you really want to say about this book? It was amazing how how much I really did enjoy reading it and how much I'm still mad that we didn't get more happiness at the end. Yeah, I feel like by us talking about it, it almost sounds like we're saying they're bad books that shouldn't be read. And that's not the case at all because they were so well written. The mm-hmm. story was really intricate and really good. It was so cool to see all of the different perspectives from the different characters. There were a lot of um, sort of underlying themes and, you know, good bits of, of information and stuff about different, you know, really tough topics and things. So there was so much good stuff in it, but then we're still like angry about it. <laughs> right. Well, it's just, it's, I mean, it's four books of well-written, beautiful anguish all of which leave you with hope at the very end, but not necessarily happiness. And that's beautiful and great and really kind of important, but not, it doesn't leave me with five-star feelings. (laughs) Right? Because you're rating on feelings. This is my kind of rating. But yes, I'm a very, I want a happy ending. And obviously, we've told you, you get a happy ending, but it's just, especially for four (laughs) books, there wasn't enough happy ending, you know, like I wanted love and I wanted laughter and I wanted good things for the characters. And yes, you get that in the end, but it takes you a long time to get there. Yeah. I mean, it's literally like if if you put all four books together, 99% of it is anguish and fear and people doing things out of anger and greed and one percent is winning one percent is love one percent is laughter and in that and you know in that sense like it's saying something amazing about the power of love and the power of laughter but (sighs) living it you have to get there (laughs) so read it but be prepared yes yeah it's beautiful everyone should definitely read it again it's very well written very well written Mm mm-hmm And while you definitely, at least if you're us, want more happy things, while you're reading it, you are engaged and interested. It's not like you don't want to be reading it because you're mad at it and stuff. You have lots of feelings, so you want to read it and you want to get through it. It's just Mm -hmm. every time you finish the book, all of a sudden you're like, but wait, why aren't they together? Or why couldn't that be happier? Or why did that person do that thing? And then you're like, well, okay, I got to keep going. So it definitely keeps you engaged and you definitely want to keep reading. Yeah. Even the prophecies, like as Shosh and I have explained, they're they're kind of frustrating. They do make sense. It's not like you don't leave being like, what the heck was that? You're just kind of like, oh my gosh, another prophecy. Oh my gosh. Like, (laughs) what is this going to (laughs) mean? Right. And also proof that like if your crystal ball isn't very clear, very specific, very precise, you might as well not have one. Right. (laughs) It's not doing you any good if you can't figure out what it means. Well, thanks for joining us for our spoiler-filled episode. Yeah, if you've read the book, let us know your thoughts. Yes. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye, y'all.